um, hip hop is advancing as far as skills. You got brothers, you know what I'm saying, getting like more witty. If there ain't nobody to be pretty for. Let it rattle, let the clatter kill him, let the cataclysm wash. Who really listens? Precision with a verse draws a crowd. I draw a line between an easy melody and peace of mind. Uh -huh. You got DJs doing all kind of crazy shit on the turntables. I like where it's going, and I like, you know what I'm saying, the creative process that Brothers is trying to take it to right now. Rally Rells and Brendan Butter in the place to be. Crimes and Treasons Radio, 101.9 FM, Vancouver, CITR.ca, every Tuesday, 9 till 11. Dynamite!
Hi, welcome to the Arts Report for September 17th, 2014. We continue with our Fringe coverage with Pick of the Fringe. Danielle Piper tells us about cause and effects, and former arts director Megan Thomas shares her interviews with duo Peter and Chris. These exemplary plays have been extended due to popular demand. Stay tuned for details. Plus, I will talk about two amazing documentaries, Out of Mind, Out of Sight, and The Source Family. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. It's nice to be back and happy September. I was kind of reflecting. This is the last September in this sub-building. We'll be moving around Christmas into the new building. Um, So, yeah, it's just a nice place to be. So welcome. We've got lots on the show. I just played The Age of Electric. They're kind of a top 40 Canadian band from the 90s, but the drummer was my friend Kurt Dahl, and I just wanted to shout out to him. Um, he was the drummer of the New Pornographers, and there was an announcement this week, an official announcement on the New Pornographers Facebook page, and it says, Kurt Dahl is leaving the New Pornographers. It has been a great 15 years playing with an amazing drummer, singer, and performer. We wish him the best. Everything is full steam ahead with the band, and we look forward to continued rocking and singing of songs. So, Kurt is an amazing drummer, singer, and performer, and I do wish him the best. There's certainly a lot of comments on the Facebook page of grieving fans uh, talking about what an incredible drummer Kurt is, especially live. Um, And so I just played that song in honor of him, I Don't Mind, by The Age of Electric. Um, So there's lots of great workshops happening around CITR as well, if you are a member, which I hope you are. There's some great monthly workshops coming up, the September workshop series, Writing for Discorder, an introduction to music journalism with Discorder editor J.C. Gibb. So that's Tuesday, September 21st at 5 p.m. This is tiny. I can't read it. Hold on. Um, If you go to citr.ca, there's details right at the top of the homepage. And there's also how to host a radio show with our own uh, Dunkin' Donuts, Duncan McHugh and learn the basics of hosting a radio show. So that's Wednesday, September 24th, next week. So if you are a member, you're welcome to come to these and check that out on citr.ca. So I was just kind of very excited last night when something came through my Facebook feed, and that's about a documentary that's playing at the Fox Theatre next Tuesday, September 23rd. And it's called The Source Family. Now, The Source Family were a cult in 1970s California. And I'm quite fascinated with cults. So um, the cult leader is Father Yod, or also known as Yahowah, born James Edward Baker. He was born in 1922 and he died in 1975. He was an American, and he owned one of the country's first health food restaurants uh, in the, in, on the Sunset Strip in L.A., and it was a very popular restaurant, and he became a multimillionaire. Um, he also had an interesting life prior to opening the restaurant. He earned a silver star as a United States Marine in World War II and became an expert in jiu-jitsu. Uh, he worked in Hollywood as a stuntman, 
And then he became influenced by the Nature Boys, who are a Los Angeles-based group of beat people, beats, who lived a natural lifestyle. Um, and so from then on, he started to study philosophy, religion, uh, became a, uh, like an Eastern monk uh, and a follower of Yogi Bhajan, a Sikh spiritual leader and teacher of Kundalini, Kundalini Yoga. So then he opened the restaurant and uh, served organic vegetarian food with such celebrity regulars as John Lennon, Julie Christie, and Marlon Brando. And he then opened two other restaurants on the Sunset Strip. So in the late 60s, he just started a cult, um, changing his name to Father Yod he became the patriarch of a commune of young people. So he, he sort of positioned himself as their father. And of course, he had uh, quite a gaggle of gorgeous young wives, 13 to be exact, um, and young men as well who kind of wanted to be him, I guess. And they worked at the restaurant and uh, they just embraced utopian ideals and communal living. Um, and they were also into rock music, um, it was sort of an integral part of their life. Many of the cult members were musicians. He, Father Yod formed an improvising psychedelic rock band called Yo-Ha Wa 13. He was the singer. Uh, they released nine albums, and I'm going to play one for you in a few minutes. Um, so they were quite well known in, in California at the time and quite a startlingly attractive cult, really. Um, they have these beautiful white gowns that they wear. Um, and and Father Yod himself is quite a, well, he was charismatic, obviously, to have his own cult, but quite a striking figure. Um, he does. He looks like Moses. Um, in 1974, the restaurant moved to Hawaii. They were very, very financially successful. Um, and on August 25th, 1975, despite having no previous hang gliding experience, Father Yod used a hang glider to leap off a 1,300-foot cliff in Hawaii. He crash-landed on the beach and died nine hours later. There's a book about the Source family, and if I recall having a look at it a few years ago, there was this sense among his followers um, that... I mean, he obviously died from injuries sustained from his hang gliding accident, but there was this feeling among his followers that he kind of, like, left his body or had some kind of consent process, kind of ascended to heaven of his own free will kind of thing. I don't know. Sounds like he had a bad accident and died. Um, and so they made a, a documentary, uh, came out in 2012 and won awards, and now we have the opportunity to see it at the Fox Theatre, um, and the feature, this is what really got me, so I'm definitely going. The screening will feature a Q&A with original members of the Source family. It doesn't say who those people are, but they're going to talk about what it was like to be in the Source family. It's interesting because listening to a bit of footage or doing some reading from people who were involved in the Source family, they still speak very positively about Father Yod, unlike other cult leaders who kind of retrospectively people began to um, sort of come out about the traumatic experience of being in a cult. But people thought of him very highly, very charismatic, and I really thought a lot today about, like, why, how can someone just be, like, a cult leader? Um, you know, like, if I tried to start, start a cult, nobody would even talk to me or join. Yet this guy, uh, like, had 150 followers of people 
that were willing to give up their entire lives and careers. Um, in, in one clip I saw from the documentary, this gorgeous uh, woman from the 1960s was dating a successful rock photographer, and she met Father Yod, and after meeting Father Yod once, she went to her long-term boyfriend, who was, you know, very attractive and successful, and she told him, I found, like, I found the meaning in life, and it's Father Yod, and I'm dumping you. And his shock at that. Um, so, yeah, just really interesting. Kind of had a quick look at Father Yod's astrology. And there are some things in, in there that indicate, you know, he's a very powerful uh, person with a lot of intense energy. And Mars and Sagittarius is very much a kind of, if you think the god Zeus or Jupiter, he had a lot of that energy heavily uh, in his chart. So, and also Venus conjunct Neptune and Leo. So that would mean someone who's very... Um, charismatic someone who had a lot of glamour and ability to spread um glamour and sort of enchant others so he definitely had those qualities i do want to play like a clip of the trailer um just for you so you can hear his voice talking it's really interesting hold on where and then i'll play a song from from him so here's the trailer here's father yod himself talking It's a game. Play it. Not by killing out pleasure, by using pleasure fearlessly. We number about 140. Give or take a few. And we're looking around for 4,000. Just like you. You will come again, won't you? Oh, yeah, you've always been here. I'm the father you all wanted. Never thought you had, but you do have. They transform sex, drugs, and rock and roll into a genuine religious formation. He shot airplanes out of the sky. He killed people. He was a millionaire multiple times. He could kick anybody's I know this sounds insane, but I saw lightning bolts coming out of his ears. I was 100% yes. It was an embrace of God and rock and roll. The day that he came home and announced that he was going to have more than one woman, I said, I think you're a dirty old man on a lust trip. We knew we were part of a dramatic social adventure. We were hounded by building inspectors, health inspectors, child services. Within 24 hours, they were shooting bullets through the house. We really thought Armageddon was coming. If you wanted to create a sort of archetype of the early 70s spiritual cult. You could do no better than the source for So that was Father Yod talking. That's a bit of a clip from the um, the Source Family documentary playing at the Fox Cabaret. I will be there with bells on. Can't wait to see it and also meet members of the Source Family, people who were part of it and, and what they have to say about it. I was really uh, interested what Father Yod said at the end of that clip. He said, where would I be without you? Speaking to his followers, I'd be in the loony bin. Well, yeah, if he didn't have 150 gorgeous young followers, he'd be just another guy in the psych ward with grandiose delusions. So, yeah. And I was also thinking, why aren't there any female cult leaders with, you know, polyandrous young men clamoring to have their children? I don't know. 
why that is. But anyways, enough about that. Actually, I do want to play a little bit more of some music. Um, this is <laughs> this is a bit of music from Father Yod, and it's called <sighs> I can't even say it. Penetration, an Aquarian symphony, um, and so it's quite long. Um, but I'm going to just pay, play a few minutes of it. It's like psychedelic, trippy, kind of 70s, straight from the cult music. Um, actually, this this piece I wanted to play it's, uh, is called Journey Through an Elemental Kingdom. So I'm going to play that for a few minutes, and I'm going to get our lovely podcast that Danielle Piper made set up. So hang tight. Here's Father Yod and Penetration and Aquarian Symphony. I'm just going to maneuver it to where I want it to start. Here we go. Rock on, everybody. Father Yod. Oh, man, this makes me laugh. Okay. Thank you. 
Wow, that was Father Yod and Penetration, an Aquarian Symphony. So do check that out at the Fox Theatre next week, Tuesday, September 23rd. Okay, it is time. We've been waiting for Danielle's wonderful podcast. She covered um, some fringe stuff, and and now uh, the play Cause and Effect has been chosen as the pick of the fringe. So for a lot of the rest of the show, we're talking about the pick of the fringe. So those were shows that were chosen as the best out of the fringe, and then their run has been extended. So uh, that's really great. So the theme was sort of environment to s- sustainability. So I'm going to let Danielle take it away. And yeah, enjoy. Welcome to This Fringy Life, CITR's series on the Vancouver Fringe Festival, September 4th to 14th, 2014. In each episode of This Fringy Life, we choose a topic and bring you stories on that topic relating to shows at this year's Vancouver Fringe Festival. For more information on all the shows at the Vancouver Fringe Festival, check out vancouverfringe.com. Cause and effect, creators Chloe and Jessica give a whole new meaning to the term bird's eye view and explain their inspiration behind the play, the underlying themes, and their creative process. We asked ourselves the question what if crows could shape the world uh, the way humans have shaped our world? We drew on some facts we found out about crows. We studied crows a lot during uh, the development of this show. So, yeah, crows are actually very um, similar to humans. Um, They live alongside us. They're one of those creatures that has adapted and kind of proliferated Mm -hmm. um, alongside human development. So it's they really have benefited from the urban area. Yeah, like um, we researched crows and we found out that they they live, like they choose to, to live no further away from humans than five kilometers. Like they, they have a few predators that don't live near human inhabit- habitations. Mm-hmm. So, so they, they choose to be kind of near us and alongside us because it's, it's safer for them, and, and yeah. there's more food sources around because they're they're scavengers. Yes, so that's something. And crows are also very individuals. Like they 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 have quite a, a complex culture, and each of them are different. If you watch them, like we live about um, like, a, like a five, five minute, minute walk, walk away from the largest. The large crow roost in Vancouver, which is like right on the edge of Burnaby um, near Still Creek. And there's like over 6,000 crows that fly towards that area. And But it's interesting because crows from all over the city are migrating um, around sundown towards that part of town. So at a certain time of day, like just before and at sunset, there's thousands of crows flying all to this one spot because at the night, like they have really bad night vision, so they they feel safer roosting together. So there's 
thousands of crows just in the trees and on the parking lots, kind of near. Like just hanging out like at night. Oh, in creating our show, like the materials that we use are all found materials, and we use lots of recycled plastics. And we call ourselves compost modern artists. And it's kind of a play on postmodernism. And uh, it's, uh, it's the idea of kind of reusing, reusing the waste that, that is just everywhere around us in the world, the trash and the litter, and kind of taking it and putting it literally on a magnifier, which is the overhead projector that we're using, and telling a story with the waste. So I feel mm -hmm. like just in the materials alone, there's a really kind of simple and hands-on uh, reflection of of our society, of our society yeah um another thing about the show is it's it is called cause and effect and it it's play on words obviously because the cause is spelt like a crow cause but also it's about um i wanted to explore the idea that sometimes the decisions we make uh in creating a better world for ourselves seem seem very positive at first, but just about everything we do that creates a better world for us also has negative consequences. So that, that's something I feel is a strong, I guess, underlying theme in our show, Cause and Effect, is that every great decision can also be a very negative decision as well. So there's two sides to improving the world as, as we see it. Although the Fringe Festival is over, Cause and Effect won the Pick of the Fringe Award as one of the six hottest selling shows at the Fringe. There will be an extra performance added this week, tomorrow, Thursday, September 18th at 9pm at Performance Works on Granville Island. Entry fee is $25, no membership required. Get tickets online at VancouverFringe.com. Next on This Fringy Life is the director of Greenland, Kathleen, as she explains how climate change played a significant role in the play. Greenland is about a family. Um, it's about three characters, and they share equally the story of their perception and their involvement in a family unit, unit that is uh, Jonathan, who is a scientist, a climatologist, and a glaciologist, his wife, Judith, who is also an actress, and their adopted daughter, Tanya. And it's the story of them... Um, you know, it's hard to not give too much away when you're describing this play um, as the each of them are dealing with uh, the, the death, actually, of the twin brother of Tanya. His name's Thomas. And also their place in the family as things change and dealing with grief and also dealing with uh, life beyond life beyond climate change, I guess, life beyond family dynamics. Mm -hmm. So how would you say climate 
um, plays a significant role within the underlying themes and tones of the play? Well, I think climate change is a discussion about survival as we know it. And this is certainly a family that is grappling with survival as they know it and how they knew it. And in the case of the young boy, his his um, not being able to survive a drowning accident. So climate change is a big question mark. We 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 are quite sure it exists, how it exists. I, I believe it does. There's variation, vary, varying opinions on that. But I'm pretty sure it's uh, a part of our future and a part of our present. And I think these characters are trying to grapple with the future. Nicolas Bion, he wrote it. It won the Governor General's Award. Um, he has a great website. There's a fabulous um, interview with him um, about climate change and about his beliefs on, beliefs on st- sustainability. Mm-hmm. Nicolas Bion won the Governor General's in 2013 for uh, three plays in a compilation, and the compilation was called Fault Lines, mm-hmm. F-A-U-L-T. And that compilation involved three plays, Iceland, Greenland, and Faroe Island. Mm-hmm. And his inspiration, I don't know what his inspiration mm-hmm. was, but uh, he looks at characters very, very specifically. But I think one of the magical things about his writing is that he he's able to magnify the human condition using very specific, fully wrought, deep characters um, that are tortured and funny and weird and complex, just like all of us. The, the play that Nicholas wrote doesn't uh, is not specifically set on a boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a boat. When I first read it, one of the things to tackle was that one of the characters smokes profusely and unapologetically. Mm-hmm. She's a great character. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew that you couldn't do that really in a theater in Vancouver. That was going to be a hard thing to tackle with all of the, those rules now. And, and I think it's very important to her. It's certainly important to the arc of her story and her character. So um, one of the actors and producers actually had a line on this boat, um, the SS Master on Granville Island. Mm-hmm. And um, so we had that opportunity, and, and uh, I had had this play, and I had been thinking about this play because I directed Iceland about six months ago. Oh, that's great. And was trying to find a way or reason to do Greenland, and it just worked. It just miraculously fit. Then I worked with the writer to split it into three. Uh, split it into three. They were already three separate monologues, but I wanted to have uh, 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 this circle of people being able to start in one place and end in another place in three very different um, lines through the script. Mm -hmm. And Nicholas, it exists just inherently in how it works. It really worked well in my mind. And then bringing everything together for an epilogue at the end which is the end of Tanya's story and um, and so the boat it worked we just figured it out <laughs> okay so the boat has no other uh, significant meaning maybe to, to it, the... it does for sure we we extrapolated the themes I mean one of the things with this story that I, I find really compelling and with monologues in, in general is it's about isolation mm-hmm. and being alone. And these characters are very alone and they really are isolated. And the play is also about an island um, that Jonathan discovers. And this boat and a boat in general, I find personally, are very much like islands. Mm-hmm. You're very caught. You're surrounded by water. 
And um, in this case, we were able to identify three people on this one vessel, but each uh, so alone and so so forced to be together, I guess. And that's kind of what family is. So it worked a dual dual purpose. And um, I think Nicholas Pion is one of our country's best writers. Mm-hmm. And I think how he raises this topic of climate change and global warming, he does it in such a beautiful, interesting, adventurous way. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's not, not common, but really fabulous when you can come to a piece of theater that engages you on a visceral emotional level, but also on an intellectual level. And I think that the writing and hopefully this production, but the writing and the performances lead one to a really full experience. It's 55 minutes and um, it's really, I think it's a tremendous show, if I do say so myself. Other shows to win Pick of the Fringe include Pete and Chris and the Kinda OK Corral, Didn't See That Coming, Dirty Old Woman, No Tweed Too Tight, and Roller Derby Saved My Soul. Check them out at VancouverFringe.com for times and venues. Yoga Fest, September 24th. Enjoy free yoga taster sessions from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Main Mall on the hour. Bring a towel, everyone's welcome. All donations go to Shinerama. Hi, my name is Emily, and I'm hoping you'll join me in discovering how UBC is bringing sustainability into action by attending Ripple Effect events September 22nd to 26th. Get a free mocha. Learn to recycle. Take a blind taste test between tap water or bottled water. Oh, and you just have to join hundreds of guests, and me of course, for a sustainable meal on Main Mall. Seriously, you can't miss this. It's going to be epic. You can get all the info at sustain.ubc.ca forward slash ripple effect. Oh, and use the hashtag ripple effect UBC. Hi, thanks, Danielle. That was a great pick of the fringe-themed environment podcast. Um, And I know she worked really hard on that and did a beautiful job. So uh, Cause and Effect is still on as a pick of the fringe show. um, And it's on September 18th, 2014 at 9 p.m. So I also want to talk more about pick of the fringe actually megan thomas our former host and arts director has done a lot of work as well um so i'm just gonna bring this up here megan thomas is now at cjsf and she's very kind to share content with us um so megan talked to canadian comedy award best sketch troupe winners pete Peter and Chris, just after their new show called The Kind of OK Corral Show. It closed on September 12th, but it's being held over tonight 
the 17th at 7 p.m. So like kind of start getting your coat on right now as part of a double header with the mystery of the murder motel, um, which is a show of theirs as well. So they're working hard tonight uh, as part of the pick of the Fringe Plus series. Megan, Peter and Chris talked about the two shows. One is new and raw and the second is polished and revamped and not committing any copyright infringement. And they talk about a few themes and ideas coming up next. Will it be Peter and Chris in space? Maybe. But first she asked Peter, then Chris, to introduce themselves. So here they are, Peter and Chris. Let's see what we've got. Here we go. Thanks, Megan. For the uninitiated, you know, give me the give me the the Peter and Chris intro. What I say to people is that Peter and Chris is very fast-paced physical comedy. It's like it's like going to a uh, a, a ride at Universal Studios, where it's like, seems it like it's pretty fun, it's pretty flashy, and there's moments that seem like it's all gonna fall off the rails, but then the cart gets right back on the rails, and we keep going. And it's uh, it's sketch comedy, in the same way that uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is sketch comedy. So it's like themed story arc. Yeah, with so they're like a sketch group, all based on comp for all yeah. going for laughs. Yeah, so it's like a sketch group that does sketch comedy, and then when it's time to make a full-length thing, they make a story out of it, too. So we, so we have two shows at the Fringe this year. Peter and Chris and the Kinda OK Corral. Um, yeah, Peter and Chris and the Mystery of the Murder Motel is the second one. And it's one we did two years ago, and mm-hmm. I had a blast with it, and toured it a bunch. And it just I think it's gotten... I'm excited to show it in Vancouver, because Vancouver's where we do all our new shows, usually. Right, and so they are fresh, and we don't have it all tightened up. And so now this show we've taken away, and we've toured it, and it's gotten tighter, and we've added some new stuff, and and played around with it. What are some of the things that have developed since you've been touring this? I usually see you guys in Vancouver, so I'm seeing the the, the new stuff, the new shiz. What has anything changed with the show now that it's been um, with it's well uh, Okay Corral with that with one? murder or murder motel. Um, well, it used to be called Peter and Chris and the Mystery of the Hungry Heart Motel because it was all about this Bruce Springsteen song, Hungry Heart, being played throughout it. And they were like, well, that doesn't need to happen. We certainly don't have the rights to a Bruce Springsteen song. so we were doing it more and doing it in bigger things where we might get in trouble for not have paid the rights. So we just took that out and wrote a new song that sounds a lot like the Hungry Heart Motel. Yeah. Or the Hungry Heart Our our buddy Devin Highland uh, is in Toronto uh, with Chris, and he, like, does music but it, with a comedic flair to it. So we got him to write some stuff, and it's great. So stuck it's got all new music, all new jokes, a new ending, actually, as well. Yeah. Is it the same the show? It's the exact it's same show. It's 90% word the for exact word. thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I said this tonight to the last crowd. It's digitally remastered. We've yeah. re-released it. We're just going to kick it around one more time. <laughs> and it's in Blu-ray. It's like all the establishing scenes now have little alien frogs that like mm-hmm. eat a fly or something outside the palace. Yeah. You see Jabba the Hutt walking. When it comes to the kind of OK Corral uh, and westerns, what are what are some of your western influences? You know, Butch Cassidy or... Uh, yeah, you'll see Butch Cassidy in there yeah, and yeah. the Sundance Kid. Eldorado. You'll see Brokeback Mountain. You see, so like that's, uh, a hint, a spice of There Will Be Blood. 
a little 310 to Yuma. A lot of the soundtrack from the video game Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> it, uh, this show will go through the treatment one day where we make it rights-free, <laughs> like Murder Motel, when it's time to turn it into a real thing. And what are some of your favorite, then, kind of murder mystery horror films? The murder mystery one has a lot of The Shining in it. Yeah. Like, it's probably mostly based off that. Yeah. And then, uh, what else? It's like, if The Shining couldn't quite get its shit together, yeah. it would be <laughs> our show. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know, stand, like, uh, your standard horror movie Hardy Boys. elements. Oh, yeah. oh and A Hardy lot Boys. of Hardy Boys. Yeah, yeah. Right. And Scooby-Doo. So we have the Western. Uh, you have your murder mystery. I watched you guys uh, last year, I believe, Explore Your Bodies. Yeah. So you got the science. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some intimate science. Science and Lord of the Rings. A little, Lord of the, yeah, little fantasy. Some more magic. fantasy match show. So what are uh, what are some of the other themes you have explored in the past? Mm-hmm. Well, we kind of fell into doing these genre yep. things. Like, I'd say Hungry Heart, Murder Mystery was the first big step to be like full-on genre. And then the show before was Peter and Chris Save the World. And that was kind of every genre whatever genre we wanted it to be at the time it would like switch into like aliens versus predator for a moment and then there's like what else is in there uh there's like a sort of like secret lair sort of intrigue kind of thing like with like super not superheroes but like a super villain kind of subplot going on uh and uh and yeah and then by by the time we did hungry heart motel which actually grew out of a a vancouver theater festival called theater under the gun uh, that was our first show where we just like really wrote straight through with one kind of genre in mind. We wanted to write a Halloween show yeah. because when we were it at Theater Halloween. Under the Gun, it was Halloween. <laughs> so we're like, let's write a spooky one or a pretend spooky one. And then uh, that, yeah. And then from there, I'll be like, man, that worked out well. That was a fun way to create a show, and and it's it's the way I think. I think Chris does as well. Like we just think very in terms of stuff that we've seen and messing around with it's stuff we've a already seen. A little easier, like when you have. It is a bit like putting a constraint on yourself. It's like it has to be Western, so you, you know the world that it's in, and it's a little bit easier to write like that. You have to have a, a stockpile of, of themed adventures that Peter and Chris are yet to have. Could you give us a little like taste of, of what people are, are looking forward to? What are you thinking about? about that recently. Also, maybe even just switching it up completely. But we've talked about space, which I think we would just... We'll do it at one point anyway, because yep. it's got to be done. But then, yeah, we wanted to, like, think of something new, maybe. I think that the front runners for three genres right now would be, yeah, space, mm-hmm. uh, mythology, like a Greek thing, go to Hades and back or something. That would be cool. That would be really cool. Do my best John Woods, or whatever that guy's name is. James Woods. James Woods. Yeah. No, John Woods. They're just a friend of mine. I want to do a really good John Woods impression. If you knew him, you know Yeah, him if you knew him, oh boy. And the third one would be, uh, I, I'm particularly into the idea of a prison show. Yeah. Like uh, a Shawshank mixed with Orange is the New Black, like a little bit of Great Escape in there. Yeah. Yeah. Buddy Cop would be in another maybe obvious choice. Yeah, I think we're so you already wanna, a Buddy we're Cop. We're already Buddy Cop. Adventure. You're every, right. every show they see. But no, I'm down yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of also because we're the Murder Motel show has spawned a web series based off of those characters called Hardly Men, uh, and it's kind of Hardy Boys grown up trying to solve mysteries. Uh, so I think it would be fun to maybe also explore another show in that universe because we're going to be getting to know them a lot soon when we're writing for them. So, so you know, we could do like another mystery maybe. 
people seem to like that one a lot. So, so uh, for the web series, uh, what is the what are the details on that that people should know about? Is that out now, or it's, well, you, you guys can are working watch on it? a episode online right now on our website. You can find that. We just finished our Indiegogo campaign, so we will be shooting more of it. And it's just kind of being pitched around right now. What do you mean by switch it up? Are you thinking of ditching the themes after you've kind of run through these favorites that you have or, or changing up the the way that you guys are, are putting yeah. together the shows? What does that mean? I think switching it up, uh, what we meant by switching it up was uh, switching up just so instead of <coughs> restricting it to one genre, just writing more of a sketch show with, yeah. a, with a theme that we want to explore. My feeling on that is we'll probably just end up <laughs> slapping a genre on it, but like, yeah. but it's a, it's just basically, rather than the show that comes out the other end, it's more about the process that starts it all. So we might just sh- switch up our process just to freshen it up, mm-hmm. find something new. We definitely have a, f- the, a formula to, to the shows that could use a, fl- a freshen up the next time, maybe, yeah. It'll be the new Coke. Yeah, yes. exactly. You can always bring it back. Oh, yeah, you can just go back. Horribly, and then we'll go right That's back true. to classic genre. Let's learn from them and keep it the same. Why change what people like? Comes here Chris, go to space. 2015, 16, and 17. We're just going to do that one three times. I kind of want to do that one now. Yeah. Maybe we decided it right here. Okay, so <laughs> exclusive. I've decided. It's a, it's a CGSF exclusive. Yeah. Space is the, the next, next one. one. What else is coming up uh, in the fall for you guys around town that people can look out for or well, anything? Uh-huh. Uh, around Vancouver, yeah. you can check out uh, Peter Carlone in a show called Hunter Gatherers. <laughs> That's going to be in Havana, end of October into November 15th. Is that, uh, are we talking funny or are we talking dramatic? It's like pretty black comedy. Yeah, pretty dark stuff. But it's a really cool script. I have not read something that uh, made me laugh harder uh, than that, I don't think. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about your character, about the storyline? My character is very uh, submissive. He's a very weak character. It's going to be fun to like figure this guy out. Uh, and the show takes place at a dinner party that goes horribly, horribly awry. We're doing Just for Laughs in Toronto like next week, so that's a fun thing. But that's in Toronto. If you guys are swinging by the TO, come, come check it there. out. Uh, well, thanks so much for, for hanging out, you guys. Thanks um, for uh, having us. Hi, you're listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. That was Megan Thomas at our partner station, CJSF, speaking with Peter and Chris, who recently won the Best Sketch Troupe at the Canadian Comedy Awards. Their shows run tonight at 7 and 9 p.m. at the Vancouver Fringe Fest, Pick of the Fringe Plus, so sort of an extended... Uh, section of shows that were really exemplary at the Fringe Festival. And check out Peter and Chris's website series, The Murder Mystery Motel spinoff on peterandchris.com, as well as Peter Carloni in Hunter Gatherers, which will be starting at Havana Theatre in October 2014. Megan also talked about Six Guitars. So she spoke with Chase Padgett, writer and performer of Six Guitars, via phone about the show, which takes the audience through six styles of guitar players and six outlooks on life. I like that. Um, Six Guitars is a pitch-perfect blend of music, comedy, and characters. Chase Padgett becomes six different guitar players, each with their own distinct voice, views, and musical styles. So blues, jazz, rock, classical, folk, and country. During this 85-minute show, each of the characters ranging from a 19-year-old rock prodigy to an 87 year old blues man shared their journey with music from discovery through to mastery 
through songs and stories that leave every audience laughing, crying, and falling in love with music all over again. Wow, that sounds great. And here she is uh, talking about six guitars. Megan from CJSF, thank you again for being so awesome on the radio. When the show first premiered, it was only an hour, and it went great. It just totally became the breakout head of the festival, and then I kept doing it at a theater in Rochester, New York, that fall in 2010 for two months. And after the show, I would say to the audience, I'm going to be in the lobby, and if you like the show, uh, I'd love to hear about it. If you didn't like something about the show, tell me why. I'm open to compliments as well as criticisms. And during those two months, the show evolved drastically. Whenever someone would tell me something, I would log it, but if I heard the same thing more than twice, I'd really pay attention to it and take that as like, that's direct market feedback right there. And the thing that I got the most was we want more music. So I kept adding more music until no one said that anymore. And that's how the show came to be today. Now I've done the show over 160 times now. And I always give myself the license to improvise in little nooks and crannies here or there. And if something that I improvise ends up working better than what I already had planned, then I keep the thing that's improvised. Also, there are sections of the show that are completely improvised. There's an improvised song. There's a couple of improvised audience interaction moments. And those help keep it fresh and continually evolving uh, rather than something that gets stale over time. Do you have any other uh, separate shows or uh, extreme developments with this show that are going to be happening coming up next? Oh, yeah. Uh, so the show just became my job uh, after a while. It just it went so well, but I wanted to create something that I felt was even, even better. And I feel like I did. Uh, last year, I premiered a new show called Nashville Hurricane, and uh, it actually, this past Winnipeg, outsold Six Guitars did the year before, which was uh, by like several hundred tickets, which is actually pretty incredible because the first time around, Six Guitars almost broke 3,000 tickets. And uh, that show is, is, I'm basically doing a movie by myself. There's only four songs in it, but they're all doozies. And there, it's much more of a storytelling character piece with music, um, but I'm immensely proud of it. The next thing I think I'm going to try to do is uh, is a solo show that involves the kind of style of uh, Jimi Hendrix and, and uh, sort of blues playing of that era and have it involve themes of the voodoo. And I think I'm going to flip it the other way around, where it's actually mostly music, but the music is always in service to a greater story. Is there anything else that you want to add? Uh, I'll add this. Uh, Six Guitars, Nashville Hurricane, and anything I've really done for the past few years wouldn't be possible without the Canadian Fringe Festival circuit. It really is one of the most innovative frontiers of modern performance found anywhere in the English-speaking world, and Canadians are lucky enough to have it in their backyard. Uh, I cannot recommend highly enough uh, throwing, you know, 10, 12 bucks at a show that someone put their heart and soul in. It might be good. It might be not good. But every once in a while, because of how special these festivals are, something really wonderful comes out of it. And because of the art support in this country, as well as the savvy 
educated and intellectual ticket buying base that exists here, the sky's the limit for what could come out of this uh, arena. Wow. I liked what he said about the French Festival, um, Chase Paget, and it's actually a perfect way to wrap up our very extensive fringe coverage. So that was Megan Thomas of CJSF speaking to Chase Paget, writer and performer of Six Guitars at Vancouver Fringe Festival Pick Plus. So that's on September 20th. So do check out VancouverFringe.com. Um, just for these final show times of the pick of the fringe, there's quite a few really good ones to see. Um, and thanks again to Megan from CJSF for doing a beautiful job on these and, and sharing them with us. You can, uh, listen to all of her interviews that she did, um, that we just aired as well as interviews about basic training, which is another fringe play and junk at soundcloud.com slash CJSF radio. So thanks again for that. Now, I'm very, very, very excited because uh, I'm going out after this to the Frames of Mind uh, film series down at Pacific Cinematheque. So I, I often talk about the, this monthly mental health film series. Um, and this one is called Out of Mind, Out of Sight. And it's a film by John Kastner. And I was confused because John Kastner is also the name of the singer from the asexuals but I just figured out that they're not the same person I thought oh maybe the asexuals guy kind of had like a second career as a filmmaker but no they're separate people John Kastner is a four-time Emmy award-winning Canadian documentary filmmaker whose recent work has focused on the Canadian criminal justice system so out of mind out of sight is his most recent film from 2014 and it's about patients at the Brockville Mental Health Center which is a lot less nice of a place than it sounds. It's actually um, what we call a forensic hospital, so um, a mental hospital that's locked and in some ways resembles a prison. Uh, he also made a, another documentary called NCR, Not Criminally Responsible, in 2013. And so it, it deals with the same content about people with mental illness who have committed crimes while they're mentally ill. So this uh, idea of not criminally responsible, we hear that a lot, but really it's a, you know, it's a, a law that we've always understood as people since we've been making laws that sometimes people aren't responsible for their actions. They're so mentally ill that we, we know we can't hold them responsible for their actions. So we've enshrined this in law. So, um, people who are found not criminally responsible and it's quite difficult to be found not criminally responsible a lot of burden of proof has to demonstrate that somebody uh, was was genuinely mentally ill and psychotic when they committed a crime um, they're diverted from the regular criminal justice system and hospitalized so they're, it's not considered a punishment but it's considered a treatment um, process so they end up in a secure hospital um, and there's been a lot of high-profile cases in Canada. I generally speak about Vincent Lee, who was the um, man who beheaded an unfortunate young man on the Greyhound bus uh, and traumatized a lot of people. And uh, there was a lot of media and, um, you know, public outcry about about this it's hard for people to understand so I do a lot of advocacy around helping people understand what it means to be not criminally responsible um, and certainly my own experience of psychosis has has helped me to explain to people how divorced from reality you can become um, and so there's a lot of public debate about what to do with people like Vincent Lee who who when mentally ill 
have become so brutally violent. Um, and it's also important to note that, that the majority of people with mental illness are more likely to be victimized than, than actually, you know, perpetrate violence. So this play tonight is the Vancouver premiere. Um, he, John Kastner spent 18 months at the Brockville Mental Health Center in Ontario filming the day-to-day -day life of four patients. Michael, Carol, Sal, and Justine, as they struggled with their mental illnesses, tried to come to terms with the events that caused them to be institutionalized and dealt with their mixed emotions about reintegration into a society that would, for the most part, prefer to forget them. So uh, it's, they call it candid, compassionate, and absolutely unforgettable. It won the Best Canadian Feature Documentary at Hot Dogs 2014, and there's a post-discussion, post-screening discussion with Dr. Johan Brink, a very uh, beloved and prestigious man, the clinical professor and head of forensic psychiatry at UBC. He's the co-chair of the Canadian Forensic Mental Health Network. Uh, he's the Vice President, Medical Affairs and Research at the Forensic Psychiatric Services Commission and Adjunct Professor in the School of Criminology. So very excited to hear him talk. Lots of people I know uh, from work are going. So I'm going to be eating some popcorn down at Cinematheque in about an hour from now. I want you to stay tuned in just a few minutes for all ears. But I thought just as a parting note, I would mention the New Forms Media Festival which is happening at Science World this week. Um, so it's being held September 18th to 21st. It's a very prestigious festival. Um, it's promoting collaboration between Canadian artists, international artists, and those working in the technology sector. Um, it's, it's very highly thought of. There's some incredible artists. You know, it's really worth going to see. Um, the schedule here you can find at newformsfestival.com a lot of talks a lot of performance kind of art and various things a lot of great artists so if you want to be very cool and erudite you will go to the New Forms Festival uh, a guy who's been on the music scene for a while I think he, he plays in Black Mountain uh, Jeremy can't remember his last name, but he has a, like a solo project, Sinoya Caves, which is extremely well thought of apparently as a kind of a like a contemporary uh, art type of music. So I'm going to leave you with Forever Dilating Eye um, by Sinoya Caves. And Rohit, my co-host, is taken next week. I have the week off and I'll be back October 1st to talk about Carmen. So thanks for tuning in to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. And keep on rocking.